0: This is your Frederick Real Estate Update, a conversation about the regional real estate market with tips for buyers and sellers. Your hosts, REMAX Results, Darren Ahern, and Presidential Bank Mortgage's Terry Kernan.
1: Hey folks, welcome back to your Frederick Real Estate Update. I am Darren Ahern with REMAX Results, and I also have with me the man, myth, the legend. Got to spice this thing up today. The man over from Presidential Bank Mortgage, Mr... Terry Kernan. All right, buddy. I know we're trying to stay positive after some of the news. I saw you walk in and it looked it almost looked like you almost walked into the studio like um at the end of the Super Bowl I sat at. That's right. That almost looked like Dan Quinn and Mr. Arthur Blank and the players and everybody. You almost looked like one of my Falcon guys coming in after the Super Bowl. And myself, by the way.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. it's It's been a little crazy. It's All been right. A little what's crazy. going on, brother? So let's talk a little bit about what is on everybody's mind. So last week I talked about... This week being a big week to determine which way inflation is going. Right. Okay? Last Friday, we talked about jobs, jobs, jobs. The jobs market, actually, the unemployment rate dropped last week from 3.6 to 3.5. That's great. Like you say, We're wow, good. that's great news. People working. Great news. Lowest unemployment rate in 40 years, okay? Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, that's actually bad news for interest rates, okay? <laughs> it's bad news for ah! what's going on. Yeah. So I said, let's wait and see what happens with the Consumer Price Index, the CPI's coming out on Wednesday, the PPI's coming out on Thursday. So what happened in those instances is actually not great news because what happened was it showed that the Consumer Price Index rose 0.4 percent higher than expected. But when you take out the – I mean the Consumer Price Index rose 0.4 percent – Let me back up. The PPI rose 0.4%. Right. And it was expected to not go that high. And the overall core rate, when you strip out the volatile food and energy, that rose by 0.3%. On Thursday, we had the CPI come out, okay? And that came out, and that basically showed that we were at 0.4% with a 0.6% core rate. Okay. What that means is that they came in higher than expected. Those numbers are directly tied to what the inflation rate is. So if you take the inflation rate month over month for the year, it comes out that rates inflation is holding at about 8.2%. That's four times the acceptable number. We want to be at 2% for consistency. So... What does this mean? It means that inflation is not... These interest rate hikes, people are still buying things. People are still um, purchasing. People are still spending. uh, And what we're taking a look at is it's causing inflation to still hang above 8%. That's very, very bad for what we're trying to accomplish. When
1: you say people are still buying things, we're not talking about food, groceries, this, that. When you say buying things, does that mean that people are still getting loans for houses, cars, um, personal loans, campers, you name it, whatever requires a loan. If I'm hearing you right, does that mean the pace of which people are borrowing money at even now a higher interest rate by far than what it was three, four, six months ago, that's not slowing down like, they thought it was going to do. Is that what is that what we mean?
0: One hundred percent. Wow. One hundred percent. So what usually happens in, in in over the last five years, you and I have talked about this. When this scenario happens, when the rates go up, basically people once they cross certain levels, and that level would be going from four to five. Yeah. Three to four. Two to three. Like anytime it crosses that, the next number, it usually slows things down. We are pushing interest rates up so fast that my belief is people are saying, got to buy now, got to buy now, got to buy now. It's not going to be on sale tomorrow. It's going to cost me more next week and the next month. So people are still buying. Unemployment is still very low. So the thing that's getting thrown at me the most, Aaron, is why? Why is this happening? This is kind of what I think is going on. So what is this? solidify that we are definitely going to get at least a 0.75 percent hike in November from the Feds, okay? The only way that they feel that they can stop inflation or get it under control, stop the forest fire, is to douse it with higher interest rates, okay? Higher interest rates are supposed to slow the economy down. In this, it is not really making a difference. So, people are saying why inflation what what happened how is this you know this is killing us um what's going on and the the only thing i can liken it to is when you go camping if you're camping in a forest Mm -hmm. and your grill gets knocked over okay and you don't do anything about it because you say that's a transitory flame (laughs) that's a temporary flame yeah okay we got this we got this. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. It's not going anywhere. And then it starts to spread more and more. And you say, you know what? It's still transitory. It's still temporary. That's that flame's going to go out and boom, it catches the forest on fire. And now everybody's in a panic mode saying, wow, that really wasn't transitory inflation, was it? That was real inflation. Wow. We should have done something prior to when we did something and now we're playing catch-up so now we're trying to douse this fire with lots and lots of interest rates we're trying to slow this fire down and it's not working okay is the fire out of control no, but it sure feels like it is, right? Yeah. We're seeing a fluctuation in interest rates that I have never seen before. We're seeing a rise in the um, interest rates that I have never seen before. Now, when was the last time this happened? 1982. We all know what happened in 1980, 81, 82. The highest inflation of all time. And we're back at that number, okay? We're back to, you know, 40-year highs on inflation, But what we had back then was we had unemployment. We had the economy going towards a recession. We don't really see that coming right now because we've got unemployment actually getting better. So it's very hard for anybody to explain the only thing that people can do, the only thing that the feds can do. And, and I truly believe it's because everybody called this transitory inflation, which means temporary inflation. The only thing that they feel that they can do is raise their interest rates fast and furious to try to control inflation.
1: So here's the question from about 500 of our listeners. Ready? Okay. In 1982, what, was panic setting in? Like, what, hap- what, what was done, to educate people, if you remember... What was done in 1982 to cause uh, inflation that was higher, faster, whatever? That was really bad. I, you know, I was a little. What, 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 what happened? Did they raise the rates the same as we're doing today? Is this the same playbook, or was there something different or different dynamics? So, so in
0: 1982, I was at Frostburg State. I was a junior, and I was an economics major. So this was a big part of what we were learning. And there was a gentleman that was the equivalent. He was the chairman of the Federal Reserve in 1982, and his name was Paul Volcker. And they call it the Volcker effect, okay? And what Paul Volcker did was he was not a very popular guy when he was elected. And, I, and, and if i know known I was going to talk all about this, I'd have more specific dates. But I think Paul came in in 1979. Inflation was you know, uh, getting higher and higher. Um, th- th- and what he basically said is, we're going to raise rates until we get this under control. So they did that? That's what they did. It's the same playbook okay. that Paul Volcker used. He was not very popular at the time, but he was credited with getting inflation under control. The previous chairman um, was, not va- um, was not credited with trying to control the inflation kind of like the forest fire that I just described our rates going to go up to 18% and I cannot imagine that that's the case I can't imagine that they're going to go to 10% I can't imagine but we're already at 7 t- today okay we're at okay. 7 we're back to 7 we're pushing over 7 because of these numbers has thrown the bond market into a tizzy the ten-year yield is much is is going up and up, and that's what kind of drives our interest rates. So let's go back. So the same playbook that they used in 1982 is very similar to what they're trying to do now, and that is is put so much pressure on interest rates to go up that it's going to eventually slow people's buying down, slow everything down, um, and that's kind of what they're using my feel and i've said it on the show a hundred times is that they should have done it sooner and we wouldn't be in this predicament that we're in right
1: the big thing i think about terry is when i bought my first house and all that and you bought yours and all that stuff like that i'm thinking wait a minute okay why is it in 1982 people were buying homes quite a bit more quite a bit on track it was normal if you will nothing crazy bad Um, At those rates. And then uh, when I bought 7.5% interest rate, I never flipped out or I didn't see panic in the financial markets or the interest rate was just like, holy cow, I'm never going to buy a house if it's that much as as an interest rate and get a mortgage. Why is it that it seems like when my parents bought a house in in 1986, it was 9.5% on Ken Island on the water? And I hear all, when we go backwards in time and we're like, huh, what's the difference? What is, there has to be something that is a little different now with this scenario, with the same playbook than back then. Is it jobs? Is this that? And the thing I thought about in my mind is this, <laughs> the, the house that I bought back then was $140,000. Mm-hmm. It wasn't five hundred we 40, were. Forty thousand
0: dollars. What's that? Wasn't five hundred and forty thousand
1: dollars. There you go. So it was a hundred and forty, and so whether it was buying a car back in those days, the average car price in nineteen eighty two was what? I think I read somewhere it was about seven thousand dollars.
0: I bought my first car, and it was a Chevy Cavalier from uh, Chriswell Chevrolet down in Gaithersburg, and uh, Scott Blatchley. Who I still know today sold it to me Wow yeah pulling you know I'm pretty good about this but I'll never forget it was ten thousand dollars and I had just graduated from Frostburg and my student loan debt was ten thousand dollars and my mom was like are you nuts you, you now you have ten thousand in student loan debt and now you have a ten thousand dollar in car payment debt." I'm like "Mom, I'll, I'll handle it okay so so the biggest thing that you're getting at is the cost was so much lower then so the numbers are exacerbated today every time the interest rate goes up okay right
1: exactly because if the average car say then was 10,000 and today the average car is like 55,000 that's five times higher than then which means the purchase It all goes back to affordability and purchasing power. So here's the problem. Unless your income is five times higher than then, you're not on the same playing field. So that's what I think we're dealing with, Terry, is we're starting to see what's happening, I think, start to unmask and expose the true purchasing power and the now weakness of the American dollar. That's what I that's what I think is really starting to go on because it's not just one area, it's every area. It's food, it's insurances, it's it's just becomes so uh, incredible to look at all of it. So with housing, um, oh, so one other thing I got I had I got asked from someone that, that I thought I've never thought of this, Terry, about how this all works now. Never. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, really? Why do rates change each day why is it like day trading why is it tomorrow they could be down an eighth of a point and today they went up an eighth and a point or whatever it is versus when the fed meets and they announce the and they announce of what they're raising the rate to okay the Mm -hmm. the money why is it that it's not locked in until the next time they meet like why doesn't it just stay the same there's no fluctuation everybody knows what it is And that's how it's going to work from now until the next time we meet. Why does that not take place?
0: So there's a big difference between what the feds will lend money at and what the mortgage market is. And the mortgage market is basically you have investors that are willing to buy coupons, which is basically a loan a coupon rate or a coupon Mm -hmm. note, whatever you want to call it. But basically that has the ability to change three times a day. Okay. Right. When it's volatile, it is volatile. I mean, (laughs) it is super volatile. Okay. And that's what we've been seeing over the last 60 days is it's been super volatile. August 1st, things started going up. September, they calmed down a little bit. Now we're seeing it going crazy back again. So what happens is the feds, Monitor what's going on in the market. They monitor all the numbers. And if the Fed raised the prime rate and lowered the prime rate, uh, like Paul Volcker had to raise it, and I don't know the amount of times, but it was some astronomical amount of times in 1981, I think. Um, and I'll get those numbers because it's very interesting. But he raised it an incredible amount during his period. And he was not, you know. So, like the Fed today, uh, Chairman Powell said, "Okay, we're going to raise rates on uh, September. We're going to skip October, and the next time we meet, chances are we're going to raise rates again." It's already been locked in pretty much that it's going to be raised 0.75 percent because of these numbers that we're seeing still have not taken an effect. So that number is regulated, the prime rate. Our interest rates are regulated by the demand of the investors, and that is a daily demand on what's going on in the world. So, um, you know, and, and I don't want to bring up bad things, but when, when things happen like the start of a war, you'll see the stock market go way down, and then you'll see our rates drop down, okay? Our rates depend we keep the economy going. So when the market crashed in 2007, 2008, our interest rates dropped very low. We were in the 3% range. We were trying to dig people out of the problems that they had gotten themselves into, okay? There was a lot of things that, um, you know, they called it the Obama, you know, rates, but basically allowed somebody to refinance their, their loan, at a low rate, even though they didn't have the equity anymore, okay? And so there was a lot of programs. So our rates change on a daily basis, and it's basically due to the demand of the investors that are buying them, and if the demand's not high. Yep. And so what happened was back then the demand diminished amongst mortgage investors. So who do you think started buying the mortgages? Fannie and Freddie. Fannie and Freddie. Okay. Fed. The Fed started buying billions of dollars worth of mortgages every month to to sustain our market and keep our rates low. Now, one of the things that they've done over the last six or eight months is they have stopped. They have not stopped. They have slowed down their buying. Okay, mm-hmm. which has raised the the interest rates as well because not as many people. You know, the Fed isn't backing everything.
1: So, is it safe to say if rates were locked in? Investors, there would be no such thing as investors because the whole idea about all this fluctuation revolves around the risk to take to make gains, profit, and losses.
0: Yes, I, I, I believe that is. So it.
1: if we took that out of the equation, then why? Then it would make sense to say we can lock it in, and nobody gets hurt either way. But there's no incentive to have the movement. To have happen, which leads me into the next question, Terry, that somebody asked to say, and what would happen if rates would just always stay the same to keep this thing called inflation and all these other factors from ever getting out of control? Is there a number that would do that? And I thought, well, maybe 5%. I don't know, because now if people's incomes are going up 3 4 5%, which gives them more purchasing power, and you keep that interest rate at some number, and you keep this locked in, and you keep that locked in, is it safe to say those would be all of the financial seatbelts that would cause us to always be balanced? That we would never see inflation go low to go crazy high. We would never see food prices and gas prices and all these other dynamics that are all contingent upon all this kind of stuff with buying and selling. What would happen if we literally locked in rates and never changed them to keep inflation balanced for good and ever and ever? Is that even possible?
0: So the answer is no, it's not possible because interest rates don't determine inflation. You and I determine inflation. Okay? Oh. The people that buy, the people that that produce, the people that they determine inflation inflation comes down to supply and demand there we okay? go okay supply and demand has nothing to do with the interest rates what they use the interest rates for as a mechanism to help control inflation okay, okay. there we go so when you have supply and and this is the first thing i learned in economics Okay, this is the first thing that you learn in economics is supply and demand. Once you learn supply and demand and how it works, that basically carries you through the next four years of your economics degree. It always comes back to supply and demand. And the question always is, what what drives it? And let's think about it. If the demand for something is very high and the supply is low, the price is going to go up. So what we have is we have the demand for several things, whether it's the building industry, whether it's wood, whether it's timber, whatever the case may be, and the supply is low. Until we can get the supply chain up, Yep. until we can get the supply chain back to where it's getting close to meeting demand, more people have dropped out of, you know, building this or, or making this or doing this, more people are consolidating, which lowers the competition. If the supply is increased and the competition is increased, it's just like the housing market. Let's talk about the housing market. Right now, there's a very low supply. Interest rates are very high right now. Yeah,
1: you would think our supply would be climbing through the roof. right now. You would think right
0: that's the case, but it is not, because nope. the supply remains low. Right. The demand... Re- Remains demand above still it, high. then the cost of that product is going to go up. That is basic economics: supply and demand. Now, when the when something is oversupplied, the price is going to drop. When demand goes down and supply exceeds demand, then price is going to go down, and that's when we have to worry about a recession.
1: Okay. Right. We still. So the ultimate question, Terry, that I have that I want to put out there for people to call in and ask and tell us is this. what? Because this is different for everybody. This is what I love. Where do interest rates need to go for a mortgage or a car or a camper or anything? Where does the cost of money or a uh, interest rate need to go to before you absolutely tap and say, I'm out? I'm never going to buy that house now. I'm never going to go buy that car. I'm not going to get a personal loan. I'm not going to go buy that camper. I'm not going to borrow money on my credit card, for God's sakes, or do this or that. I am out. What is that number? And obviously, this is what the interest rate rise is doing, is it's eventually going to take more and more. They want it to take more and more and more consumers out from borrowing money and saying, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. And the more that happens, it slows it down enough to where what? That balance of supply-demand gets into such a check to where we got this puppy under control, of the fire. There's enough fire trucks have showed up on the scene, boys and girls, and enough firemen. We got this out of control. This is done now. We got this, right?
0: Yeah. So the biggest thing that we're suffering is, uh, is lack of supply.
1: That's it. That's it. And supply. In
0: my this is my opinion. I it's agree lack with of you. Supply. Plus, we've gotten a tremendous amount of influx of cash from the government yep. in the form of reliefs They need to stop all that. all over. And when you do that, then then my desire to buy something still goes up. Yeah. And then my demand is there. So so we've got to slow down. We've got to increase supply, number one. That's going to help that's it. in everything out there. So I, hope that, is, I hope I didn't confuse you. No, this is
1: huge. I think we're going to get a lot of, oh, this stirs up a lot of ideas, thoughts, and everything around this really huge topic. All right, we got about four minutes left, Terry. Here we go. I'm going to get back into Welcome Home. Well, three minutes. The Welcome Home Inspector. Welcome back to Home Inspections. We are seeing this like crazy. I got one tomorrow that's going to be happening on one of my listings. We just had one happen now um, about with septics and all the stuff like that. We were going from as is, no inspection, just give me the dang house, let me beat everybody else out, to now I want to inspect everything. I'm doing the chimney and the mold and the termite and like all of it. Like, I mean, I'm telling you what, brother, let me tell you, in the last month, we have seen buyers want to inspect they want to inspect if who was the last homeowner before the homeowner. Well, this is unbelievable, so yeah. the questions and what we're being asked of, of, of these people. So here's the cool part. So I just had an inspection. Oh, this was a fun one. I had a home I'm selling, and we got an offer on it, and they did the inspection for the septic. The septic was brand new, installed 2016. Terry, would you agree that's pretty much brand new? Pretty much. Pretty much brand new. I mean, the wax is still on the car from the dealership, right? So, (laughs) if you will. So the septic inspection, I get cranked up about this. Where you get this? So they do the home inspection. I'm thinking, all right, everything, the septic, it's going to pass with flying colors. There's nothing that could go wrong with a septic inspection that's six years old, your honor. It's the newest, latest, and greatest technology. It's like a bat system. You could drink the stuff on the other end of it, right?
0: You could, if you wanted.
1: If you wanted, but we if don't you recommend doing bet. that. If yes. you lost a bet. Yes, exactly. That would be the only condition is losing a bet for a million dollars, right? So here's the thing. They do this inspection. I'm thinking of the sellers, we're home free, we're good, got through all their stuff. Wrong. Failed inspection. What? Failed septic? What are you talking about? Here's the thing. Ready? I don't remember my sellers telling me it backed up in their house because normally that's the first thing that happens, Right. There's no backup, there's no outbreaks, there's no signs of nothing, no zero. So check out what happened. Ready? Um, The the gravel, the way it was designed, the gravel from the one pipe coming out to the distribution box didn't have enough, and it settled, and it broke off from the pipe. And so almost none of it was system-in functioning, going into the fields correctly, but all of it was going around the septic and everything, but it didn't cause an outbreak. Who knows why? But it's not correct, and it failed. And now it needs to be remediated and fixed. And thank God it's only about $1,800 to do. But my sellers are scratching their head, and they're like, what the heck? How would we have ever known? Of course you wouldn't have known. So it's going to get fixed, remediated. The buyer's staying in the game. It's all good. Hey, these things happen. Welcome back to all the inspections. Hey, guys, take care. Have an awesome, awesome weekend out there. Terry and I will be back with you next Saturday. We can't wait to hear more from you. Our information's coming up. Let us know what's on your mind, and have a great weekend. Happy buying and selling. We're here for you. Take care now.
0: Looking to purchase a home or refinance your existing mortgage? If so, Lawyer Signature Settlements is here to assist you with that process. Lawyer Signature Settlements is a local attorney-owned title company with over 100 years of combined experience conveniently located in Frederick, Maryland. We are licensed to conduct closings in the states of Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia. With two attorneys on staff here at Lawyer Signature Settlements, we ensure the most thorough review process paired with affordable rates, accommodating scheduling, and outstanding customer service. So next time you need to place your signature on closing documents, call Lawyer Signature Settlements at 301-695-1235 or visit us on the web at www.signaturesettlements.com. We hope to see you at the closing table. Hello, this is Terry Kernan with Presidential Bank Mortgage in downtown Frederick. And the best way to reach me always is on my cell phone at 301-639-9244, 301-639-9244. Or you can always email me at presidential.com. And this is
1: Darren Ahern from REMAX Results. You can reach me anytime, 240-344-1713. Again, it's 240 344 1713, or at DarrenAhern at gmail.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to your Frederick Real Estate Update. We will see you each and every Saturday right here on WFMD at 11 o'clock.